This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 320. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. Oh, Micah. You're just supposed to say and I'm Micah because we have a guest this week. <laughs> and I'm going to intro them. And I'm Katie. Micah. Great, great. <laughs> Better late Katie is here, a member of our Slug Club on Patreon. Welcome, Katie. Thanks. I am so happy to be here. Hey, everybody in Patreon world that's listening live and everybody else who listens to this later. Hi. Katie, it's it's great to have you. Andrew, it's great to have you back. Yes. Thank you, boys, for holding the fort down yeah. for me. I, I appreciate it. That's what threw me off, honestly, Andrew, you know. Having hosted the show last week, I was I was just confused, so I apologize. Okay, sure. Um, I was actually uh, on a cross country road trip. I went through beautiful states in our country, including Utah. Where was it? Utah. I ran into this. I'm already yeah. It was. It was the Thunderbird restaurant. Yeah. So it was so funny. A little little Ilvermorny thing here. So I'm I'm stopping for lunch somewhere on my road trip. And I, I, I found the place I was going to and I get out of the car and I'm about to walk into the restaurant and I look across the street and I see a big neon sign that says Thunderbolt restaurant, restaurant. Thunderbird. <laughs> so I turn around, I jump back in my car, I drive across the street and I dined at Thunderbolt restaurant because I had to. Bird. Thunderbird. Thunder. What did I just say? Bolt. Thunderbolt. Thunderbolt. No. I was thinking about the Apple port. Th- th- Thunderbird. Uh, yes, Thunderbird. And it was like, obviously, <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with Ilvermorny or Fantastic Did Beasts. You, uh, but I uh, thought it was cool. Try out those homemade pies. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Made by Jacob himself. Oh. It, those now I, now like I feel like you're joking. Jacob, I'm just saying, based on the sign. <laughs> on the I sign. I actually had a grilled cheese because I'm four years old and they weren't serving breakfast like I wanted. Mm. But... um. They had the Thunderbolt, like the oh bird, God, Thunderbird, <laughs> Thunderbird. I'm sorry. Did we eat I there just, or did you? Yeah. I just ordered a Thunderbolt port and and a c- converter thing, and that's why I keep saying oh. it. Thunder, Thunderbird. They had a Thunderbird on the sign, posted it on Twitter, posted it on our Patreon. Um, it, yeah, so it was funny. But also, it also bugs me a little bit. I'm like, oh, J.K. Rowling, culture appropriation. Like, it just reminded me that, like, the Thunderbird is rooted in history. <laughs> no, but yeah. Rowling did that all the time. It just, it wasn't until she did it with the Native American culture that she's messed up, I think. I guess. Uh, a little guess. bit. But, but, uh, Thunderbird restaurant somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Utah. Good place to eat. <laughs> Highly recommend. Yeah. Well, it. apparently there's also one in uh, rural Pennsylvania. In, uh... Yeah, we've been getting tweets from people being like, "Oh, I've I've seen a Thunderbird restaurant too." Huh. Right? Yeah. So I I thought it was less cool, but anyway. Um. So Katie, let's get your fandom ID. We've been doing this with our Patreon guests, uh, who have joined us so far. You're the third one. So some rapid fire questions here. What's your favorite Harry Potter book? Half Blood Prince. Ooh, movie. I love backstory. Uh, movie Sorcerer's Stone because okay. it's what got me into Potter. Aww. Uh, Hogwarts House. After taking the quiz ten times, I can tell you I am a Ravenclaw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you, did you keep taking it until you got the house you wanted? No, 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 no. Statistically, out of ten results, I was more Ravenclaw than anything else. What were uh, the? How many times were you each house? 
Oh, I'd have to look at my chart. Um, oh, your chart. I was going to say for a second for you not knowing the answer. I was like, oh, some Ravenclaw. But you're like, oh, I made a chart. And then I'm like, No, oh, okay. I made a spreadsheet. I literally did. I think it was That's... four times with Ravenclaw. I'm pretty okay. sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about Ilvermorny House? Thunderbird. I think that was six times. Lovely. <laughs> six times. Okay. Well, you're going to have to go to that restaurant then. Uh, Patronus? Um, statistically, once again, it should be a Siberian cat, but my first quiz result was a St. Bernard dog, so I'm happy with either one. There's like 200 options. How could you take the quiz long enough times? Did you get that really more than once? I did. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Once again, yeah, I took all of them 10 times, and I actually did get the Siberian cat twice, so I guess that really should be it. And so I love you have cats. 10 different email accounts associated with Pottermore? Well, yeah, I own like several domain names, so I can just whip out email addresses left and right. Oh, man. <laughs> Katie.pottermore at gmail1. Yeah. <laughs> Katie yeah. Pottermore. You're the, you're, you're the, you're the coolest super fan I think we've ever had on. This is great. <laughs> you're just the most obsessed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here's a weird question we haven't asked before. Favorite JK Rowling tweet? Okay, um, it's not so much my favorite favorite rolling tweet, but it's my favorite tweet that she liked. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. this okay, is interesting. Sure. This is even more in- involved and in- in deep. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you guys actually mentioned this on a previous show, but someone tweeted her asking her if Ariana Dumbledore was an obscurist, and she liked their tweet. And then somebody retweeted that and said, am I the only one taking her likes as a yes? And then she liked that tweet. <laughs> so then I responded and said, well, now it's been double liked by Rolling. I'll take that as an emphatic yes. And then she liked my tweet. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> so it was like Inception likes that totally confirmed that Ariana is going to be an Obscurus. So well, I was awesome. thrilled. <laughs> Confirming in th- information through tweets. Yes. Hashtag 2017. Tweets. Uh, And this question, I swear it's going to become relevant later. What's your favorite type of hot dog? Um, The only ones that I can eat, which is to say one with a gluten-free bun. (laughs) Because I'm allergic. (laughs) Allergic to what? Gluten? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say the only one I can eat, which is a vegetarian hot dog. No. Any any toppings uh, on the hot dog there, Katie? Oh, sure. Stick on the... Not relish gross, but... Mustard, ketchup, chili, onions. The works. Love it. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite birdie bot every flavor bean? Um, okay. So I ate a bunch of these ones at a Harry Potter meetup group because I was like the only one in the group that was brave enough to do it. So I was the guinea pig. And I tried one of each. And I can proudly say that I did not spit. I swallowed every single one. And I've got some (laughs) lovely pictures of this disgusted look on my face because some of them were so gross. They're mostly awful. They are mostly mostly. really bad. Absolutely. But I think Tutti Frutti was my favorite, if I recall. Tutti Frutti is great. Tutti Frutti is great, but I don't really know what where that occurs in nature. You know, that's the issue (laughs) that I have with Tutti Frutti is obviously a very popular flavor across beans and candy and all that stuff. But like. What is a tutti frutti? So how can you see? I did this thing recently for MuggleNet where we rated. It was it was on National Jelly Bean Day, which was like uh, the end of April. And there's a nice. YouTube video of it where I tasted these finally because I was I was similarly you know scared to death to try these. Mm-hmm. But you know tutti frutti is delicious, but I kind of call BS because <laughs> what exactly is it? So 
It yeah. seems to me like bubblegum meshed up with a bunch of fruit flavors. Yeah, so it's kind of like a combination sort of thing. But the uh, the earwax, the grass, and the vomit were extremely accurate. So. Yeah, I put them out of my head. Like I, that whole experience was. Yeah, I'm never going to do that. I'm so glad I caught it on video because I'm never doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> Which ones were accurate? Um, vomit, grass, and earwax. Vomit? Oh, I'm oh, oh, and there's also earthworm. Earthworm is really accurate, you guys. Oh. Not that I, not that I have eaten worms. Does that mean that you've eaten grass, earwax, and earthworm before? Vomit. So you have I think it, I, in the case of, well, in the case of grass, and this is the only subsection of that question that I'll answer. In the case of grass, it tastes like fresh cut grass smells. So oh, sort of like an amortentia sort of thing. Um, this, this might be bring up bad memories but I, I when you said that i'm just picturing you like on the schoolyard being bullied <laughs> and some bully comes up to you and is like eat grass kid and then he yeah, pushes yeah. The ground. it's possible you know it's where do any of our sensory memories come from a lot yeah. of them are repressed okay and uh, look i would love to get into a deep dive on birdie bot <laughs> yeah, we, we have so much to, to do to we really have so much to do this episode is packed and finally katie how did you get started with harry potter Okay, I'll, I'll make it brief. Um, I've been resisting Potter, even though everybody was telling me that I should read it because I thought it was a fad, and I was like, nope, not going to do it. Um, but I had just turned 22 when the first movie came out, and I swore I was not going to go see it. But my boyfriend and I went to the movie theater around the time that it came out. And I think we went to see Shallow Hal, which I never did end up seeing. <laughs> um, and we happened to run into my older brother and his friends at the concession stand. And they were there to see Potter, and I love to hang out with my brother, so we were like, oh, let's just go see Potter with them instead. And by the end of the movie, when Hagrid gives Harry the photo album, I was in tears, had completely Aww. fallen, head over heels in love, and I devoured all four books within like two weeks afterwards. Aww. That's great. And here you are today. Indeed. On MuggleCast. Squeak! Well, and this is actually my second time on MuggleCast. I don't know if you guys remember. Um, not live. But back in 2006, you guys had a create your own MuggleCast segment contest, and oh I God. was um, number two. Was I the second winner? I think. Um, crap, where did my notes go? Yeah, and I sang a song. I did a parody song of Lisa Loeb's "Stay." That was Harry Potter inspired because I was saying you guys needed more music on your podcast, and you played <laughs> my song. We <laughs> gotta find that yeah, episode we clearly. And pull that segment and. It Play it right here. <laughs> it's episode 30, right after the one hour mark, oh, wow. if you want to okay. find it. <laughs> oh, well, that was easy. I to find that. that was a little too easy. <laughs> I had to look it up Thanks, earlier. Ravenclaw. <laughs> episode 30, right after the one hour mark. Got it. I actually, I remember that Make Your Own Muggle Cast segment. That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was it was turned fun. out really good, all of them. We had a lot of really cool probably. fan interactive ideas, like uh, Ways to Annoy Voldemort was a big thing. Um, <laughs> All sorts of old stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get to some news, and then later we are going to have a main discussion on Tina. And just before that, we're going to get some feedback from listeners on Jacob. Then later in the show, we're going to listen to some voicemails and respond to them. We got some really interesting ones. I had a blast <laughs> listening to them. By the way, we are listening to all the voicemails, and it's really nice to hear everybody's voices and hear your feedback instead of just reading it. So thank you to everybody who's been calling in. Um, and we can't play them all on the show. We'll, we try to get through as many as we can, but uh, this week we have some fun ones, so I'm looking forward to playing them. <laughs> so.
So let's talk about some news. Pottermore has al- has announced that it is launching a Wizarding World book club in honor of Philosopher's Stone being released 20 years ago this year. They are going to be starting, of course, with the first Harry Potter book, and it looks like the intention is to go through all seven. Mm. The book club, quote, aims to surprise and delight those who have never read a Harry Potter book, as well as returning readers who want to join the conversation about the series, especially during these 20th anniversary celebrations. Um, so it's so interesting because Pottermore is essentially getting back to how it started to begin with, right? I mean, it was originally, mm-hmm. you know, only book one was available and they had those very nice sort of flash animation moments for each chapter and you could go through the books. I mean, I almost for a second for like blinked and forgot that that was sort of Pottermore's own origins, but it used to be all about the read through quality. And I question how much of that they're going to start bringing back. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, it's, it says that members will be able to enjoy the shared experience of reading the books together and then joining the discussions we're facilitating on our social channels, all curated by Pottermore. Hmm. So it kind of sounds like it's not going to be on the website at all. It's mostly going to be through social. So like Twitter, probably. Isn't that what they mostly use? So you can't say very much in 140 characters. I'm sorry. Well, Pottermore is a deep dive. Pottermore's own user base generated names are all kind of a, a mess, right? I mean, we oh, don't, yeah. it's, it's impossible to tell what each other's usernames even are. And so that's sort of out mm-hmm. for discussion. Uh, Facebook is another way to, it's, it's going to be interesting. What unsettles me most about Pottermore in 2017 is its, um, attempt to be like a fan site, which is a little disingenuous because they're so much not a fan site. They are the official, you know, stopgap between actual patented, licensed knowledge and canon. They're guardians of the new canon. And, uh, and yet you have this guy who's basically a joke, the Pottermore insider, uh, typing up fan articles. <laughs> Ouch. No, I mean, <laughs> seriously, true. fan articles it's about true. like, what did he ever do to you? I'm sorry, but it's, it's, it's really, it, it it's sort of an insult. Uh, to actual Harry Potter fan sites, I feel, uh, when, when they're talking about such frivolous topics as, well, let me pull some up. You know what? I don't even need to. Um, I've said my bit. It, it's just, you know, Pottermore, it, it's exciting that Pottermore is potentially going to be re- releasing new, never before seen content relating to these chapters. But that's, that's always what you go to Pottermore for. That's always what everyone's gone to Pottermore for. And that's what I'm hoping for. But it sounds like, uh, they're not promising anything. They're still being very vague. Well, look, all I have no. to say is that if you want to listen or participate in discussions <laughs> about the books, there's this thing called MuggleCast that's existed for 12 years. And uh, we started chapter by chapter, actually, all the way back in episode 31 for Sorcerer's Stone. And uh, we've done every book chapter by chapter. That's what we called it. And uh, so I... I don't know that uh, you really need to do a book club. So, Eric, I think it's a good idea. I disagree with both of you. I think it's a good idea. And since they're talking about a heavy Twitter presence, my hope is that J.K. Rowling is going to get involved in this. And I, because we all know she loves using Twitter. Uh, I, I think that would make this really, really special. Imagine going through each chapter and J.K. Rowling. I don't expect her to drop in info for every chapter, but yeah. 
many of the chapters, she can add a fun fact fun fact about the chapter. Oh, I almost added this character in here, but then I cut it. Oh, this chapter was almost on the on the chopping block. Oh, I apologize for this chapter. Doing <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff, and we're going to be able to write about it and talk about this it. This chapter on, on was written while I was eating French fries. <laughs> yeah, right. um, breaking. I distinctly Jake remember eats French fries. Yeah, or hot dog, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that uh, that is yeah. not a good idea. I'm just saying that there's other means out there for people to participate, and there have been for quite some time. So it's not a quite some time. Well, yeah, new I, idea I uh, to create this kind of book club. But if it if it fosters discussion and and there's new content and J.K. Rowling participates, maybe some other people uh, that are notable in the uh, in the Potter community participate, then I think. It it should be fun. I I I actually d- disagree with the, the comment about Pottermore from earlier. I think that they've done themselves an amazing service by becoming this sort of clearinghouse for all things Potter. We've talked about this before. How they've really become the central hub for Cursed Child, for uh, Fantastic Beasts, for anything related to Potter. And I think that that was a smart move on their part. And they're just looking to find new ways to continue to stay relevant and to continue to grow. And, and this is a, a great way for them to do that, whether, you know, I jokingly was, was talking about our podcast or, or not. I, I'm just saying, hey, look, episode 31, we started chapter by chapter. If you want to give a listen, mm-hmm. go ahead. It was the episode right after Katie was on. And, uh, <laughs> right. Clearly, it's all thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, you know, and I, I'm certainly content reporting, you know, the new stuff that would, that comes out on Pottermore, but Personally, I've already gone through chapters on podcasts, not just once on here, but twice because Alohomora, MuggleNet's other podcast, was Whoa. dedicated to a global reread of Harry Potter, and they went through all seven books. And entire episodes that were hours and hours long went into, you know, reading all of Potter with t- a mindset of today, a mindset of, you know, now that the books are finished, here's where uh this you know what each chapter means to us and and frankly the the level of of detail and discussion that uh that that the hosts of that show myself included went into on some of those chapters far exceeds anything that an official brand in my confidence is going to be able to do and and I'll leave it right there I completely well, and, agree yeah and that brings up a good point we're we're talking about how Pottermore wants to be seen as a fan site maybe yeah. they should involve the fan sites Involve MuggleNet, Leaky, Snitch Seeker, yeah. the, the podcasts. I mean, yeah. I, I think that would be a great way to level with the fan sites and, and win over the trust of the fans. Kind of like, the, remember when, remember when Fantastic Beasts invited those YouTubers to the, to the set? Right. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, well, moving on to some other news now. Mark those calendars. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child has set its Broadway opening date. It is opening April 22nd, 2018 at New York City's Lyric Theater, which is currently undergoing an expansion of seats to fit more fans and uh, get ready for the excitement of the show. And to fit more owls. So, and to fit more owls and make sure they don't get lost up in the rafters. Mm-hmm. It will be true. an owl-friendly <laughs> theater. Putting a bunch of bird spikes up in the rafters so they don't <laughs> land. No, they don't mean they look. They, they're plastic. They don't impale the birds. They just prevent them from landing. Okay, it's plastic. I'm saying Got horrible it. things this episode. Uh, that is my my birthday weekend next year. I feel like oh, uh, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't turn it into a thing. So uh, I'm gonna go. My birthday's the 23rd of April. So 
well, I think if you I've, want the fun stuff, if you yeah. want the the owls, you got to go during the test oh, period. The previews. So, You're right. Right. The previews. So if the show is officially opening April 22nd, I would expect yeah. previews to begin February or March. So, OK, we'll okay. have to all get tickets together. Yeah. Oh, we're totally doing that. Yeah. No word yet on when tickets will go on sale, by the well, way, but presumably. And especially if we get if we get the preview, if we get into the preview of the Broadway, Andrew, you'll have been sort of the first person to see both productions. The first, you know, yeah, fan you to, know, see, to see both. the life I lead. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. Now, I'm not going to be allowed in the Cursed Child America. Not after all that uh, Wormtaily stuff you did. Yeah. yeah. We got Wormtaily out the door. Wormtaily out the door. Don't let him in. Don't let him in. I just want to see if you have a live owl. No, sir. We're not letting you in. I was actually paranoid that they weren't going to let me into part two. Because <laughs> part one came out, and then we did that report, and then J.K. Rowling writes that tweet, and then there's a full 36 to 48 hours in between part one and part two. Yeah. I was I was, I was ready to be turned away at the door. Yeah. I kept my head down walking into that theater. <laughs> Got a hat on. Or a hoodie. Or a hoodie. If anybody asked for my name, I was going to say Micah. My name is Micah. <laughs> they would have given you the best seats in the house. <laughs> oh, Mr. Tannenbaum, please. My, if, if, <laughs> Micah's a secret member Micah's of way. all of the British West End theaters. <laughs> We're going to put you in J.K. Rowling's box, sir. <laughs> J.K. Rowling was there during part two, remember? Oh, man. Yeah. All right. One other news item today. A little kind of uh, sad news, I guess. Yeah. We all remember that. "Quote unquote" prequel that J.K. Rowling wrote back in 2008 for charity about James and Sirius, their little run-in with police. It was set three years before Harry Potter was born. It was exciting because, oh my gosh, Harry Potter prequel, what we've all wanted. And she wrote it, she hand-wrote it on a card, and then they auctioned it off for charity. It sold for $32,000. The money went to English Pen and Dyslexia Action. Now it's been stolen. Oh. It was stolen in wherever it was residing in Birmingham, England, and police and J.K. Rowling are asking for help. They are worried that the thief is going to sell it to a diehard Harry Potter fan who would really want this. Because the the police are thinking that a, someone who's not a Harry Potter fan wouldn't really care for it. Although I would think they would because it's still a very important collector's item. Yeah. But nonetheless, they think the thief might want to take advantage of Harry Potter fans. So J.K. Rowling tweeted in all caps, please don't buy this if you're offered it. It was originally auctioned for English pen. The owner supported writers' freedoms by bidding for it. So, And why would you buy it if you can't brag about it? I mean, really. Because right, the moment you theory, say, I have it. it then, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pointless. Point. Well, we've already read it. Point. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was she was kind enough to release the text of it in it was probably on her website back when. Like it, it really just the the novelty of of having it in person. It, I, I we should I mean as a unified voice just condemn this. This is bad. Are there not cameras where this piece of paper <laughs> is being know. showcased or held? I, I guess not. It's pretty small. I mean, you could have carried it in your wallet. Uh, that's what I would have done. Is that how you did it? But I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> What we do, we, the three of us, I mean, we are diehard Harry Potter fans, but we, mm. we pose as super diehard Harry Potter fans who are dying for this card. We reach out to the thief, however we can find them, and use 
our Patreon fundings to buy the card, and then we'll send it back to J.K. Rowling. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, she might actually reply to us on Twitter if we do that. <laughs> she might. We might be in such good graces with her. We get knighted. Uh, <laughs> and she is the queen. Or I'm thinking, and this is this is more of a joke, or this is less of a joke. Um, maybe just release the story online, or write a bigger version of the story. Yeah, to sort of to sort of lower the value. Um, right, because it's not like she was gonna release more of these for charity anyway. So yeah, I mean, if you're no, I mean, steal this is any piece of paper. Go steal the uh, letter from uh, Newt's brother that's in the display in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, at least we want to. So know we can what see the rest says. of it. Yeah, we don't trust Lego. <laughs> well, he didn't even finish. They, they, he, he cut off. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Huh. All right. So that's all the news we got for everybody this week. Let's before we jump into this week's discussion about Tina, let's go back a week, share some rebuttals about Jacob. All right. So the first one here is from Katie King. She says, "Hi, Andrew, Micah, and Eric." I was listening to the character discussion of Jacob and the theories Eric presented regarding Jacob's likelihood of getting his memories back. During this conversation, I was thinking about Hermione's parents. Hermione went to Australia after the Battle of Hogwarts to find her parents and successfully return their memories. If a 17 or 18-year-old witch can return a year's worth of memories to two people, certainly Newt, Queenie, and Tina would be able to return a day or two for Jacob. I don't think it was ever revealed how Hermione actually accomplished this, but it does give us a clue that it's possible. I've been listening for 10 plus years and I love the show. Keep up the great discussions. Wow. This is, this is great. Um, clearly an eagle eyed reader who's familiar with extended interview, uh, answers from JK Rowling. Um, or potentially she also credits the HP wiki, which you should, nobody should be reading that. It's not well sourced. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it, uh, no, 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 it, uh, it is titillating. And if it is the case, if Joe did say that at some point, um, then it's a perfect sort of a perfect rebuttal. Like clearly it's possible to bring memories back. Next one is from Danielle, who says, listen to your Jacob episode. I want to make a comment on the possibilities of why Jacob seems to remember at least some of his experiences with Queenie and the rest of the new gang. I agree that all the explanations Eric listed are logical and plausible. (laughs) Really? Uh, But I feel like we're missing what the (laughs) Harry Potter series has taught us. What I think is the easiest explanation, love. Didn't Harry Potter teach us that love is a source of magic that is powerful and something we don't entirely understand? It makes sense to me that Jacob loved Queenie so much it somehow trumped the memory of al- memory-altering potion. Even if he doesn't remember everything, something is obviously working in his brain, making him create the beastly baked goods. And when he sees Queenie, he knows that he loves her, but maybe not why. We've seen love save Harry, seen it save the people at the Battle of Hogwarts. Dumbledore believed in it, and it's the most mysterious thing in the Department of Mysteries. So, that's the explanation I would like to offer. What about love? Sorry. The song just popped into my head when I thought about writing this email. What about love? And it had to be used. Don't you want someone to care about you? That's awesome. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Yep. And Monica also wrote in and uh, was pretty much in agreement with everything that Danielle just said. Um, yeah. And then we also heard from Claire... Who says, hello, MuggleCast, in your character discussion on Jacob in the latest episode, you talked about the possibility of Jacob becoming a sort of bridge between the nomad and wizarding worlds in America. 
While I agree with this idea, I would add that it would it will be Jacob and Queenie together who will be able to unite these worlds rather than Jacob alone. The way I see it, their relationships mirror that of Esalt Sayre and James Stewart, the founders of Ilvermorny. Ooh. Um, in Fantastic Beasts, we see some of these same themes. Queenie, the powerful witch who feels sympathy for Jacob, the nomad who is brought to her home to recover from the Mertlap bite, wound and whose memory they are constantly threatening to erase instead he becomes an integral part of their lives and ultimately i believe he will play an important part in shaping the magical history of america just as james stewart did when he became a founder of ilvermorny i think it's even possible that the relationship between jacob and queenie might eventually lead to the relaxing of the rapaport's law and bringing the wizarding world of america back to its more tolerant inclusive roots thanks for reading and for producing such great content for discussion I'm a longtime listener of the show, and I love having the weekly episodes again. This is amazing to to connect the relationship between Jacob and Queenie in the movie to the Pottermore story of uh, Isolt and James Stewart, the founders of Ilmermorny. Wow. Yep. Yeah that that's that's very poetic. Um. Also, also the idea that the relationship between Jacob and Queenie will somehow become exposed, but heralded as you know the high sort of the highest form of love, that it would be something that wizards will then aspire to, um, you know, intermingle with muggles because of the purity of, of this public uh, display of affection. Very interesting and very hopeful. Ultimately, I, I hope that the next few films are as optimistic and hopeful uh, and not as, you know, sad or, or otherwise like war-torn uh, as they could be. Yep. Yeah. And I'm still thinking about these emails from Danielle and Monica. Like, that's such a good point. It's been in front of our eyes this whole movie, and we love. didn't see it. Love. Love. Aww. Love. Love. We also heard from Tomas, who said, I've just listened to your last MuggleCast episode and wanted to add my thoughts to the discussion on how it's possible that Jacob still has some memories from his time when he entered the magical world. I consider him to be an artist. His pastries are definitely not your standard cakes, but more like small works of art. We must assume he gets some inspiration for them. Being an artistic soul, he probably is open to his subconsciousness, and I think this is where all the magical memories ended up, deep in the subconscious part of his mind. Remember how Voldemort was able to get the memories out of Bertha Jorkins, who had a memory charm put on her. This means those memories are not completely erased. They can still be reached. And I bet some people are more likely to get to those erased memories than others. In case of a forced recollection of memories from Bertha, this drove her to madness. But in the case of Jacob, this is not a full memory restoration. Those are more like ghosts of memories, glimpses into subconscious that he uses when creative. I was wondering what your views are on this. Whoa. Uh, yeah, I get chills and goosebumps whenever a listener it quotes the book back to us <laughs> and like, like awesome. Like this is just, this is amazing. And we didn't think about it at, at all. Like the example of Bertha Jorkins getting her memory back or, or basically her memories are still in there somewhere and the connection to the subconscious and the artistic sort of side of the brain. Well, we see that a lot in Half-Blood, too, because Dumbledore has to extract these memories that have been either altered or buried by Voldemort himself to get to the truth. Yeah. So I could totally see that being the case. And finally, from Adam, he says, As I listened to the discussion about Jacob's qualities as a regular old muggle, 
I couldn't help but make the connection with Grindelwald's stance on muggles. Knowing how much Grindelwald disdains muggles, I could totally see him completely disregarding Jacob, allowing Jacob to take advantage and accomplish some key task. Jacob would very well be the Dobby of the Fantastic Beast series. It seems like the sort of thing J.K. Rowling would do. Looking forward, yeah. to, looking forward to shots of that green apron and all that comes with it. <laughs> wow, is Adam hitting on me? At this at this point, I'm just holding on to the apron just to like ruin this from ever happening. But okay, I'm. Hey, we want you to wear it too. It's got to oh, be a God. calendar. Each, what? all three of you, we need pictures for a calendar. <laughs> Why did you send oh, us yes. this thing? Ugh. Wait, it was you, Katie, who sent the apron, right? I did. <laughs> Thank you so much. I can't wait to uh, wear that. I was saying. laughing so hard after that episode. I just had to do it. Had to. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think this is a good idea from Adam. I just hope it's not like he has to bring the key around the corner when nobody's looking. Like, that's a little too. Basic. Yeah. Like, I also hope that it's more. not like he gets buried at Shell Cottage like 80 years before, you know, Dobby. I, I just I don't want him to oh, die boy. in the same way that Dobby dies. Oh, God. Would you be not. OK if he wasn't buried at Shell Cottage? Yeah, if he's buried anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> No, I don't want Jacob to arms. I don't want Jacob to die. No, of course not. I, I'd like to see. I'd honestly like to see this series be less uh, bleak and with with fewer deaths uh, than than we saw in in the Harry Potter series. Mm, it's an adult series. I know, I know, and it has Grindelwald, who's I think objectively scarier and more accomplished at murder than Voldemort even was. Yeah, but he also doesn't want to kill all wizards. Or not, sorry, not all wizards. Obviously, Voldemort didn't want to kill all wizards, but Voldemort wanted to kill even mudbloods and Muggleborns and so forth. Whereas Grindelwald wants all wizards. It seems like to stick around. He just wants them to rule the Muggles. So that's I, a good. That's a really good point, actually. I think that might be one reason he didn't kill anyone in Fantastic Beasts. I mean, he tried to with Newt and Tina just to get them out of the way because they figured out who he was, but. He, yeah, I feel like his heart wasn't completely in it when he was shooting spells at them at the end and at the Aurors because he didn't actually kill anybody as far as we know. Because they're, they're prized blood. Like yeah. he didn't want to harm them. So, but so they're, under, still, they're still yeah. in his way. They're in, from, they're in his way, but I think, over. do you think like, like, so Katie, what you're saying is he would, he actually has a reason not to want to kill witches and wizards. Yeah. Unless he yeah. can, if he can help it, you know, I mean, if, yeah, if they're yeah. definitely in his way, like at the very beginning of the movie, it looked like he blew those guys away. So <laughs> I'm sure he has killed, but I think if he can help it, he tries not to. He tries to just persuade them of his stance, like he gave his little speech there at the end, who are we protecting, us or them? So I feel like he's kind of on this crusade. He's trying to get people to see it his way. And he's obviously very, um, what's the word? Uh, whatever word that Theseus used in the uh, the letter to Newt, but charismatic. Yeah, yeah. People like him. People respond to him. He's obviously a good speaker. I mean, Dumbledore was taken by him, so yeah. I feel like that's what he's trying to draw in is his strength in that regard, and not just blowing everybody in his way out of the way. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our character discussion about Tina. Yay, Tina. Tina. Um, so Porpentina, uh, nicknamed Tina mm -hmm. Goldstein, according to Katie's notes, 
was born August 19th, 1901. She's four years younger than Newt Scamander, our hero of Fantastic Beasts. Um, and actually, what you've done, which we did not do, which I did not do in my notes, Katie, was you actually found some really cool name origin stuff um, yeah. about Tina. And I think that we should probably lead off with with that. Oh, yeah, yes. it could add to this discussion, this analysis of the character and what, what might be in store. Because we know J.K. Rowling never chooses, never just throws darts against a wall for name picking. Every name is intentional and significant. Exactly. And I've totally learned that from you guys, from Alohomora, from Speak Beastie. So when I knew we were doing Tina, I was like, wait, I got to dissect the name. I've just got to see if anything's there. Um, <laughs> so the thing about it being an outdated term for porcupine, I thought might be a comment on her kind of prickly nature, because she doesn't come across all warm and cuddly and fuzzy and someone you would just go up and give a hug to. She's a little more standoffish. Um, and that I'm wondering, like, is that a direct result of her parents' untimely death and the need to be strong for Queenie? Because um, she obviously contains a great wealth of love and compassion. We see that with her interactions with Credence and with Newt, etc. But she seems to only show that side of her to those that she really trusts or those that she's trying to protect. So I thought that might be one reason that she chose that name was part of her personality. So porpentine, porpentine is the old way of saying porcupine? Yes. Cool. Yeah. And then I had a lot of fun with her middle name. Okay. Which is Esther. And I grew up in a Christian home, so I knew immediately that that was a name in the Bible, um, a book in the Bible as well. But there's a lot more to it than just that. And I had a lot of fun doing a little research and learning this myself. So the name Esther is a common Persian word meaning star. Uh, Queen Esther from ancient times. So this was, she was born around 492 BC. Um, and her original Hebrew name was Hadassah. I hope I said that right. And that is a Jewish name meaning myrtle, which I thought that was kind of cool too. Um, <laughs> wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect emoji response to that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Winky face emoji. Um, the name Esther was probably given to her when she entered the court of the Persian king and as that's what she, that's what she was known by by the people, um, but to a Hebrew audience, the name Esther, the way it was written, had far more meaning than simply the word star in the language of their abductors. And there was this whole little spiel that broke down the the name like a few letters at a time and what those meant. And I'm not going to even try to read that because it's in Hebrew and I can't. But basically, the foreign name Esther would have looked to mean. She she searches out evil to a Hebrew audience. And Whoa. I mean, for her being an auror, she searches out evil. That's kind of perfect. That's pretty that's pretty <laughs> on the nose. I'm doing the I'm doing the nose emoji and then the pointing finger <laughs> emoji right now. And that wasn't like on the first page I searched. That was two or three deep. So I feel like she didn't just take the first meaning and, and go with that. She no, definitely goes deep into the Google search results. Yeah. <laughs> and she's, then... pros she's possibly also like fluent on the Bible. Like, you know, I think yeah. she's pretty well read. She very um, well could be. Yeah. And what well, that is a Jewish name. Um, I don't think I actually looked that. Well. She did confirm she, well, she, she, uh, singled out Anthony Goldstein as being a Jewish character 
uh, on Twitter a couple years ago, maybe it was last summer. Somebody did ask her, you know, hey, are there any Jewish characters at Hogwarts? And she did. Uh, Anthony Goldstein was her first reply. Um, and he's so, a distant relative of Tina. He's a distant relative, yeah. Um, and I could read that other quick little thing that talks about the Jewish part um, if yeah, you sure. want. Um, the Book of Esther in the Old Testament tells the story of Queen Esther, the Jewish wife of the King of Persia. So this is the same person I was just talking about. Um, the king's advisor, Haman, persuaded the king to exterminate all the Jews in the realm. War warned of this plot by her cousin Mordecai, Esther revealed her Jewish ancestry and convinced the king to execute Haman instead. So I, I take this as more evidence that she's Jewish, even though that hasn't been specifically stated so far. Yeah. Artina. Yeah, I think it would be cool if there was there were more Jewish characters in the Wizarding World I agree. than we've seen so and far. Let's not forget um, where we're headed in this series from a timeline standpoint. We're headed back to Europe during a, a very tumultuous time, not just for people who are Jewish, but from with other backgrounds as well, particularly as it relates to the Nazis. So could that oh. play into this storyline with Queenie and Tina both um, hmm. potentially being um, Jewish. Yeah. That's a really good point. Especially because we want Queenie and Jacob to stay together. And it feels like at this point, the only way for that to happen is for them to go abroad because America is so backwards right now with their whole nomad relations thing. If they um, think America's backwards. Wait till they get to Europe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then stuff. Well, away yeah. from her name, I'll get away from that real quick. Um, just the the last one thing I wanted to say, because um, I noticed in my research that she is a half blood, but her parents died of dragonpox, which is a disease that only affects witches and wizards. So it had to be one of her grandparents that was a nomad. But I'm like, how is this allowed? Because that was under the years of Rappaport's law. And why is Tina so against nomads if one of her grandparents was one? You, wait, uh, so okay, wrap. I need to wrap my brain around. So one of her, one of her parents would have had to have. Both her parents had to be witches and wizards, but one of them would have had to have been Muggleborn in order for either Muggleborn or they could have had like a half and half. You know, because well, um, she's confirmed as being a half blood. Yes, on her identification Somewhere. card. Oh, okay. There's a little checkbox, and it's got an X beside Half-Blood. Because Dragonpox only affects witches and wizards. Right. So at so... first I was like, how can she be Half-Blood? But when I looked it up, it can also apply to grandparents of the child in question. Well, that's really interesting. Oh. So now I'm super curious about her extended family. Yeah. Katie, you did a lot of research here. You did all the work for us this week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Well, I really like the the porpatine porcupine idea with her being standoffish. I mean, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. That's the yeah. that's really the impression you got from her watching this movie. And then, of course, the middle name with it being searching out for evil, evil, uh, the meaning there. Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting. I mean, it works so well that you got to think that J.K. Rowling considered these things. Did her yeah. research. Um, so let me uh, let me just uh, ask everybody Try then. Following that, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Crap. I mean, my notes technically take up a little bit more page space, but they're not as as awesome or bright. Um, 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna enlarge the font <laughs> well, I mean, so they I take mean, up I mean even that more from page a color space. Standpoint, not from an intellectual <laughs> standpoint. Oh well, I'll also fun. change the color in the document. Then I'm gonna make Size it a light blue. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, the okay, so but let's let's get everyone's overall thoughts on Tina. So we we she exists in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the film. We were completely introduced to her. In the movie, she goes on the adventure with the rest of the quartet, has a lot of like a lot of strong, I think, character moments. But what are our overall thoughts getting in? And I'm before I I mean, while I ask that question, I'm going last. So somebody else go. Well, we I mean, you say she was completely introduced, but we did know about her because we knew that Newt married her. So there was (laughs) that. Well. Uh, was she announced? Was she? Was that in like the forward to the original Fantastic Beasts? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe not oh. the forward, but the like one of the, the about the author about maybe. the author. Okay. Yeah. So um, and when yeah. when we found out she was cast, it was like, oh, okay. Well, this makes perfect sense. But we didn't assume yeah. that they would be married at the beginning of the movie. And as we ended up seeing, of course, they they meet in this movie along with Jacob at the same exact time. So. um but seeing her in the movie, and I'd been voc- uh, been vocal about this on previous episodes, I didn't really like her in the movie. Yeah, because she is a porcupine. She is standoffish. She's she she seemed a little flat to me. I think mm-hmm. Honest Trailers put it brilliantly. She's Bormindy. <laughs> oh God, Bormindy. Bormindy. Yeah, that's Boring. really harsh. Hermione. I know it was it was. Pretty, but I think but... she was written that way intentionally as being porcupine-like or or standoffish because of what she is going through, uh, which we may not have full insight into really until they're in that uh, room in the bowels of Makusa and she's face-to-face with death. And, and, you know, she's... It seemed like there were some memories of her parents, but then it gets to the moment where she is... um, Face to face with Mary Lou Barebones and and what she was doing to Credence, and you see that there is this caring side of her that you know, she basically lost her career because of an action she felt you know inherently compelled to take, and I think that that yeah. speaks volumes about the type of person that she is. But I think mm-hmm. just the way that she happens to be written in this first movie is that. You're you're kind of breaking through the the surface a, a little bit with her, and and Newt helps to do that more so, I think, than any of the other two characters. But th- there needs to be more time spent with her in future films, in in order for I think people to really warm up to your to your point, Andrew, of of just not feeling like there was much to her. I I do think that that was done on the part of Yates or or Rowling or Heyman and and that's how she was meant to come across. Mm. No, yeah. I I do agree with that, and I'm sure we're going to be learning a lot more. And and to your point, I think in these future films we'll see her her arc will be in part getting her mojo back, mm-hmm. getting her confidence back, getting the joy in life back. And Newt will probably be a part of that because he's. Because they have this romantic interest. And, of course, one of the lightest moments we saw from her in the movie was at the very end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where she jumps and clicks her heels because there's something going on between them two. So, uh, yeah, I, I think while I, I do still 
will state that she was boring. It, it was on purpose. And I think I previously would say, said that, um, she was written badly. I'll take that back now. I don't, yeah, I don't, I won't say she's written badly. I would say she was written intentionally and, and intentionally she... badly. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, K- Katie, what do you, what do you, flat. yeah, Katie, Katie what do you think? Okay. Yeah, so, as a woman. <laughs> um, my first impression of Tina after watching the movie was I do not like this person. I do not like this character. I do not relate to this character at all. Um, the more I've watched it, the more I've researched her, the more I've thought about her, the more I start to respect her. Um, because I feel like that standoffishness, that barrier that she puts up, it's because she's had to be strong for so long. Um, she had to deal with her parents dying at a young age. She had to look after her younger sister and make sure she had everything she needed. She's been like the breadwinner all their life, you know, ever since whenever that happened. Um, she's a career woman. She's very focused on being successful and living up to the expectations that she has there at Mucusa. So a lot of that, she's hiding her feelings underneath all of that, because if she shows how susceptible she actually, and how vulnerable she actually is, people would not think she was as capable as she is. Um, so I feel like, especially at that time period, you know, women were very looked down upon and weren't supposed to necessarily work outside the house. They were supposed to just pop out babies and cook all the time. So especially for that time period, I see her as a super strong, passionate person um, with that determination for justice and her need to protect the weak, like Credence. Um, like, so, so she can be very reserved and professional when she forces herself to be. But she also has that passion and she and sometimes it comes out even when she doesn't mean for it to. I feel like like she can't help but say what's on her mind um, and has trouble kind of sticking to societal norms. She'll pop into Makusa in a completely awkward situation where she should not have. But she's just so excited because she thinks she's found this important thing that she needs to communicate immediately that she can't hold back. So, and I do that myself. When I get super excited about something, I just have to scream it at somebody. So I I could relate to that part of her. And I feel like the more we get to know her, the more relatable she'll become. Um, But right now, that passion comes out a little bit awkward because of the way she's having to hold back at the same time. But Mm. definitely a kindred spirit to Newt. I think they're a great great pair. And I think I'm going to like her a lot later on it was just one of those like oh my gosh she's so not the same as as me i don't know how to relate to this but oh, yeah. i yeah, think it'll sure. be better later well i'm gonna i'm gonna uh mention how i feel about her but first i want to read some tweets because we asked twitter for reflections on tina and all of them fit into this category of sort of you know general thoughts so the battlefront podcast star wars battlefront podcast tweeted us uh i felt she was a little bland but look forward to how J.K. Rowling will flesh her character out in the future. I think she can be a great character. Uh, Christina Vorko says, my favorite, the fact that her sister outshines her makes her closed off and perfect for Newt. She has opportunities to grow. Lots of kindness. Uh, Cody Niebuhr writes, Tina is my favorite character. She has the most noticeable and apparent flaws out of the main four. So I think her character has the most room to grow over the course of the films. I think her character arc will be amazing. And uh, by the shell be everyone's favorite character. I think that means by the end um, of it. 
Kay Burkett writes in all caps, Tina is a goddess. Um, <laughs> Andrew DeFrank writes, uh, I found her to be a perfect character for the Wizarding World. Love seeing a fellow Jew in HP as well. Her last scene was so great. Horn Serpent House writes, great opening character, very by the book and trying to get into Makuza's good graces. Tina evolves beyond by the book. Um, so, yeah. uh, and Harriet Illiff, one, one final tweet here. Uh, Harriet Illiff writes, I feel Tina is a witch who was ambitious in her becoming an horror and was crestfallen when she was let go. In this, I think many can relate. Absolutely. And and just to go off of this tweet from Harriet, it ties into what Katie was saying, too, is she's very mission driven. And mm-hmm. you see that throughout the course of the film. And eventually she sort of lightens up a bit. But most of the film is her spent trying to prove that Newt, shouldn't be here and is a threat and she believes that by doing so she's going to be possibly reinstated um so it's it's a bit ironic that the way that she becomes reinstated is in catching by accident grindelwald so uh, yeah i think though that we we see lighter moments of, of her um you know i mentioned when uh, they were at uh, Makusa and she's going through that sort of memory scene and, and we get the flashback to what happened with Credence uh, but also the Ilvermorny song I know it was deleted from the film but I feel like that mm-hmm. would have been a little bit more of a, a humanizing moment for her yeah because she does kind of probably much needed lightened up mm-hmm. a bit she's singing she's having a good time and then but good uh I do like that one tweet that mentioned since she it looks like she has the most room to grow. Yeah, like I that is a very, very, very good point. But I, but right. I feel like um, the switch was flipped a little bit once she kind of joined in with the rest of the team and uh, you know, the movie plays itself out. You mentioned the end scene. Um, but even in that moment where she's trying to get Credence to return from his obscurest form. Uh, that shows another side to her too, and I think that, yeah, again, it's not all bad. It's just like how she starts off at, in, in this film is not one where you're immediately drawn to her. But so yeah, here's I I could swear that um that J.K. Rowling on Twitter said at some point over the last eighteen months that Porpentina was her favorite character her favorite new character i could i could absolutely swear this was a tweet I'm but i tried look- sure you did yeah I, I, I she did i i'm try i was trying to find it i couldn't if any of our listeners happen to know or maybe afterwards we can look for it but i i just remember seeing that and having seen the movie at first because my initial reaction was too oh she's kind of just weird maybe a little dull maybe a little boring um, but when J.K. Rowling wrote that she was her favorite, I resolved to understand that there was more to the character. Now, however, I'll also say, watching the special features uh, of the Fantastic Beast Blu-ray, uh, I, I mentioned this a couple episodes ago, but J.K. Rowling talks about how she would write the script and when she was working on the script, would pitch uh, to, to David Heyman and David Yates that the three of them were like a cohesive unit and they essentially, in discussion 
on set or, you know, otherwise would sort of break the script and work through every single aspect of the story, every character, every scene prior to casting. Every single bit of the film was worked out in discussion with J.K. Rowling, David Heyman, David Yates. How this is relevant to my feelings on Tina is that I think the issue was, to a certain extent, J.K. Rowling, Heyman, and Yates all completely understand what why J.K. Rowling loves Tina so much. They all understand so much about what makes Tina work, why she's secretly the best, why she's awesome. But their issue is no, it doesn't translate to the film that they've made. I think that they're, they're so inherently knowing of every aspect of Tina's character through their lengthy discussion and have simply fallen short in making the film at translating that to a general audience. Um, because when I was rewatching the film to make these notes and every, every subsequent viewing of this film, when I look at Tina and specifically try and, and watch sort of Tina's character arc through this film, she is delightful. I like her more every single time I watch this film. And mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like, it's almost like because when, when you're first watching this film, she's really off putting. It's really just weird. She's popping her head around corners in the bank going like, it's like, who, who is she? What, what is she doing? But it's, if you kind of take into account everything that J.K. Rowling has said about Tina, uh, her character, and everything that, that everyone else has said about her character, and if you actually, like, objectively just watch all the Tina scenes in this movie in order, like, she's actually great. And, and, but you have to, you kind of have to work for it. But, like, she, she is actually really great, and there's a lot of really great things about her. Yeah, go on. It's probably because her, you, you come to appreciate her intricacies more. Yeah. When you're watching the little details. When you're watching little... her pop her head around the corner and you're watching her spot Newt and decide to track him. Like, I think those things are fun to watch. And you, yeah. You appreciate them more. Yeah. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's just, it's just that there's so much else going on with the Niffler and, you know, you're watching the Niffler scene for the Niffler. I don't think you're watching it for anybody else, but like, you know, it, 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 it just, it just, um, I, I think that perhaps part of Tina's character, I mean, we, we mentioned the song, like it was cut. It would have, I think, warmed audiences substantially to her. Maybe not substantially, a little bit more to her. Um, I, I think that Tina's character is the one that actually just happens to be, uh, a little flawed at being gotten across by the filmmakers, if that's a fair comment to make. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's definitely more going on. It's just that it didn't, translate the most but also she is generally a more subdued sort of character um she is a little prickly but i think she's also like got a got a great heart and it's just that she's you know as the film begins we'll talk about like certain scenes and stuff but she's recently had a fall from grace and i think that's tough um you know when 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 you're tina she's received a significant demotion um and is no longer welcome in the inner circle of ours and for her to stumble upon you know, sort of this great conspiracy, you know, with, with Newt, with the Obscurus being released and, you know, she has, or eventually grows to find the answers to all of this stuff. She still struggles with just being accepted. And I think that for that reason, her character is very much alike, you know, us as people, but also other characters in the series. Harry is an outsider. Luna is an outsider. And I think there are aspects of that that if you dig deep enough, like they're absolutely 100% there. And I think we love and overlook Newt's awkwardness a bit more because we know he's such an animal lover and that immediately draws us to him and gives us an insight into his character because animal lovers are just 
they're those cuddly people that want to cuddle all the fluffy, cuddly things, and they want to save them all from storm drains and trees and, you know. Um, but <laughs> yeah. with Tina, it's more she's looking out for, for kids, which is a great, great thing. Um, but you don't see that until until later in the movie. So you don't immediately see why she's a little bit awkward herself, but she still has that great love for smaller, weaker things that need help. Um, it's just in a different way. She doesn't have kids in a suitcase. She's going out and trying to keep them from abuse. Yeah. And Newt, by the way, isn't just an animal lover, but he's he prefers animals over human beings, I think. Yes. Yeah. So he's right. a bit of an introvert. He is an introvert. And like with, with Tina, we don't really identify her as an animal lover, obsessive with beasts like Newt is. So So it comes off a little stranger with her. But that's yeah. okay. We're establishing now... <laughs> That she's good, she's great, amazing. just as she just like is. the holiday. A she's great amazing. Movie. She's my favorite character, actually. <laughs> no. no, but she is. She is great. I mean, if you think like she lost her job, like she got demoted because she actively went to stop Mary Lou Barebones from abusing, like outright, physically lashing credence in in the past, and mm-hmm. and that's. And that's crazy. Like, so she loses control and attacks a muggle and there happens to be, I mean, it's, there's, there's people present, right? So according to the film, there were other muggles present. Um, she says his mother beats him. She beats all those kids she's adopted, but she seems to hate him the most. And she says, that's how I lost my job. I went for her in front of a meeting of her crazy followers. They all had to be obliviated and it was a big scandal. So this heroic act of Tina's is viewed as this big scandal, right? Big headache for the ministry or for, sorry, for Makuza to have to clean up. And that's all it's viewed. It's not viewed as an act of heroism at all. And you know what? I bet that's pretty like upsetting. I put that, I bet that's sort of demoralizing. And Mm. Tina actually has the wherewithal to have like sort of a, uh, a sort of um s- strength that it she doesn't let her destroy her and she continues almost stubbornly to continue investigating Mary Lou Barebones even long after she's been pulled off the case. Well, we also learn from Pottermore that Macusa does not have a relationship with the Muggle law enforcement. Um yeah. like in uh, in Britain, we know that they do. The Prime Minister and the Minister for Magic actually Such talk to each other. Such a great chapter. Yes, it is. But that's a no-no in America because of Rappaport's Law and all the craziness that's gone on um, over the years. So I feel like Tina would have no other person to go to. Like, she could I mean, I guess she could just um, act like she was a muggle, go to the muggle police and try to get them to do something about it. But The abuse, yeah. Yeah, maybe. But they don't have that same relationship, so maybe she would be scared to do that because... Maybe they would consider that interfering as well, and she'd still have the same end result. Um, and if you see a child being abused, you don't wait around and go to the police. If you're right there, you do something about it. You just do, yeah. if you're a decent human being. So, yeah, I, I felt really bad for her that she was demoted for that. Yeah, and you mentioned yeah, for sure. the fact that Newt is an introvert. I would say that so is mm. Tina. Uh, and there are aspects of both Queenie and Jacob that could fall in that category. I think generally they're more uh, in the extrovert category, just given their, their personalities. But I think they all kind of have that aspect to them where they're outsiders. And you know, we've naturally seen outsiders kind of gravitate toward each other as we did in, in Potter. 
But I would say it's mm-hmm. pretty much the same case here with 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 these four. I mean, Queenie seems to be, um, you know, have her own insecurities and and probably uh, with all that she deals with from a, a legitimacy standpoint, uh, very much an outsider, despite the fact that she can hear everything that's going on. Um, Jacob, uh, given everything that he's gone through um, at the very start of the film, uh, a bit of an outsider, doesn't seem to have too many friends uh, in New York. And we've discussed Newt, we've talked about Tina, I think they kind of naturally just all mesh very well together. Yeah, and and, and although they are all outsiders, and I think it's a good point to, to bring that up, Tina is actually surprisingly the closest thing to an insider we have in this film because she works for Makuza. She's in the inner circle of ours, or at least has potential access to them. She's the only character with uh, a working knowledge of Graves who ends up being the main villain in the film. And, you know, I'm thinking of particular right before the speakeasy scene, they're looking for Newt's final beast, right? They don't know about the Akami, but they're looking for the um, demiguys. And it's Tina who proposes going to the the blind pig. And, and she thinks of, she gets Narlac. She says, you know, he's interested in anything he can sell. He would be a perfect sort of informant. You know, that drives the plot forward. She has the answer and it's due to her police work. And when they get there, it's almost like I need a, a Twitter account that just tweets like, here's your daily reminder of how much of a badass Tina is. Because <laughs> when they get, when they get to, because when they get to the blind pig, she says, there's a quote from the movie, I've arrested half the people in here. And I'm yeah, like, and she's not scared at all. <laughs> no, she's not scared at all. She, they, they all like just side eye her, but they keep their distance. Um, so, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's really kind of sharp and she, is extremely valuable to the quartet and to and to Bakuza because you know she is the she is part of this group that catches Grindelwald at the end too and I think you know it's just it's just that maybe it's a a real like to be applauded attempt uh from JK Rowling to really showcase some of these more reserved characters and show how introverts can still be heroes um, mm-hmm. or people who are a little strange, a little weird, um, a little quiet, uh, can, can really have some of the truest and most, uh, applaudable, you know, character, uh, bits inside them, uh, that, that we should all aspire to. Well said. Thanks. I like it. The other thing though, uh, talking about how much of a frequent badass she is, she really keeps her, holds her own on the street with graves. This was a scene I'd forgotten or a little bit of the scene that I'd forgotten, but when the Obscurial is finally, when Credence is blowing all the way across the city and is in his full anger state and Newt and Tina are separated because Newt is apparating to each building top trying to talk Credence down, Tina, like, confronts Graves. And at this point, she knows something's off because she's been in the in the room when Graves kind of tipped his hand on the Obscurial thing and and sentenced them to death. And she confronts Graves and the two of them go into this epic battle. It's Harry Voldemort, right? There's, there's lightning and it connects, you know, to each other. And frankly, Tina does not get her ass beat. Um, she does not get her rear end handed to her. She holds her own. And, and this is striking to me because not only is it Graves, who's the head of the R department, who's fighting her, but it's actually Grindelwald. And there's something to be said about Katie, what you said earlier, like whether Grindelwald really wants to kill a fellow witch or a fellow wizard. Um, maybe he's even holding back because at this point he still thinks he might slip away quietly unless he kills a witch or wizard. So maybe he's like 
deciding not to kill her. But frankly, like he's throwing a bus at her. I think he's pretty involved in trying to like stop her permanently. And she holds her own in that fight. Yeah, her and Newt, he probably is trying to kill at this point because he already tried and they got away. And they're kind of on to him. So I could see him trying to kill them for sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's clear that those two are going to be in his way. So they have no reason to be alive right now, even though uh, they are wizards. And Newt holds his own on the train tracks. Oh, my God. Like, he was basically whipping him with magic over and over. Yeah, these are all hints of what's to come in terms of battle. I mean, they're not going to get worse. They're only going to get better in terms of their skills as they get ready to fight with Dumbledore. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and Newt attempts to talk Credence down, and it sort of works, because Newt does have intense, advanced knowledge that perhaps nobody else has of how an Obscurial latches on to its host, right? I mean, he he offers to help Credence. He says, I want to help you, and he's the only person that we know of who successfully removed an Obscurial, uh, although the girl died. But he gets interrupted, because Grindelwald comes, but it's it's only, yeah... But when, when, when Credence is really angry then, and Graves is, or Grindelwald's trying to talk to him, uh, he's not listening. He's only making the situation worse. And in comes Tina. And she says, Credence, no, don't do this, please. And Newt immediately realizes a shift in the creature. He says, keep talking, Tina. Keep talking to him. He'll listen to you. He's listening. Mm-hmm. So Newt, Newt's, there's something Newt sees says, he, you know, oh, something's changed fundamentally. He's listening to you. He's, he, this is the path. He might calm down if you just keep talking to him. And that's entirely based on the merits of Tina as a character and the previous relationship, whatever it was that she, she had with Credence where she saved him, uh, from abuse that one time. And so there's just so much in the movie that's a direct, like, example of how cool she is, um, and how good a person and how strong a character she is. But it is, you kind of have to look for it. it. It's, it's, you know, it's there, but you just got to see it. So much else is going on. I wonder if part of that, her being able to talk Credence down is due to her kind of raising Queenie for a while. Cause when you're the oldest, at least from what I've heard, I'm not the oldest. Um, and my parents are still living, but in situations like that, the older sibling that's taking care of the younger ones usually has to grow up really fast and they kind of put you know become that mother role even though they are not an actual mother so i feel like she had this skill that she could talk to this young man in a way that a mother could in a loving way that he had never had or at least not since he was a kid um ever since he was taken away from his parents so i think he was responding to that and newt saw that because that's kind of the way he talks to his animals as he's their mummy kind of like hagrid um so he was like, hey, look, you're, it's working. You're doing it. You're, you're doing a great job. Continue, continue. So, yeah, I wonder if that had something yeah, that to do sense. with it. Yep. That makes a I sense. Agree. I mean, when when you're in the mother role, you're in the father role, you're hopefully trying to take control of situations and resolve them in, a, in the best way possible. So, yeah, that makes a lot right. of sense. And, and I also so, think, so, sorry. No, go on. I also think that there's a natural connection between the two of them going off what you said, Katie, just because they both have somewhat similar backgrounds in the sense that you know, she's clearly lost her parents to illness, but he has been taken away from his parents. So uh, mm. I think there's sort of a natural bond between the two of them. And when she sees what's happening to him, she, I, I, well, she reacts probably how many of us would react in that situation. But I think 
maybe there's glimpses of uh, herself or somebody that she knows that she's seeing in that situation and it just makes her all the more motivated to attack Mary Lou. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, she does the right thing. Even when, um, after the erumpent scene, uh, when Jacob and Newt go into the case and she's hiding on the bridge above, she takes them in. She takes them into Makuza and interrupts, uh, the international confederation meeting because it's the right thing to do. Like her own job consequences be damned. Um, you know, so, so she's very brave for doing oh, yeah. that. And, um, a couple other things I want to bring up, uh, but wrapping up, generally wrapping up my notes. Um, the JK Rowling has some fun with the dialogue that Tina says, um, by mentioning these characters that are references to, so sort of like the equivalent of Merlin's beard, um, but for America. So she has this quote talking about the Niffler. She says, why in the name of Deliverance Dane did you let that thing loose? Deliverance Dane, I think, is explained on Pottermore. But it's an old, like, American reference. Like, it's the American analog. the Salem Witch Trials. Salem Witch Trials. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and then the other quote, Mercy Lewis, what is that? Uh, talking about the Mertlap and Mercy Lewis, another historic or J.K. Rowling fabricated American wizard sort of saying, expression. Like, this is all heavily researched, but... Yeah, both it, of it those are up- from the Salem Witch Trials. Okay, thank you. It goes it goes by so quickly because it's just dialogue, but she's the only one who has these like she's the only opportunity for JK Rowling to throw in any of this fun stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's totally in there. Um Love it. and I think we we can all agree that her interaction with her landlady, Mrs. Esposito, <laughs> is worth is worth lauding and applauding. Yes. Um, <laughs> that you, Tina? Yes, Mrs. Esposito. Are you alone? Always alone, Mrs. Esposito. Like, come on. <laughs> You tell me that she does not, that Catherine Waterston does not pull that off perfectly. Um, She's not always alone for long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And like busy these next few years. I, 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 I agree to thinking it was weird that like Queenie and Jacob get the, get the kiss and and like Newt and Tina, who we know are going to end up married together. Don't, don't kiss. It's like such a, it was kind of, it would have been expected, I think. Because we knew that they were going to end up married, so yeah. maybe that's what J.K. Rowling was considering. Yeah, defying like, expectations. Mm-hmm. Let's not make it crazy obvious. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I like that it's it's a little bit more subtle and it's a little bit more nuanced, and that's the thesis statement I have for Tina. It's like, she, she's great. It's, it's a little bit more subtle. It's a little bit more nuanced there. So um, I have here to end. Here's some quotes from J.K. Rowling and uh, Catherine as well. So Catherine Rodderston says... Uh, or Allison said, Allison Sudo, who plays Queenie, says, Tina and Queenie are each other's family. They're each other's everything. And then Catherine adds, you sort of feel their relationship more than you see it. When we're preparing the meal, there's a little banter that's very everyday and lived in and comfortable. It is a kind of what I would describe as sort of witchy way that sisters engage with one another. Okay. The witchy way. The witchy way. <laughs> so... <laughs> Clearly, they spent some time on the set working on sort of their chemistry or they had it. But um, Catherine and Allison both have very nice things to say. That's on the special features, by the way. There's a segment just on the Goldstein sisters. I think it's called the Goldstein sisters. Um, J.K. Rowling says in that segment as well, Tina is pretty brittle. She's quite brittle. She's quite intense. She's in a precarious society. Her desire to keep wizards secret is protected. And I think this is a furthering of that same quote. She loves the rules. She wants to stick by them. She's really proud to be part of Makuza. 
and really dreams of succeeding there. But the way that she pursues the things she's concerned about tends to never work out quite right. But she has good instincts. She's not a total disaster. It's a good way so, to put it. Yeah. So I, I, I think really that, um, you know, our initial feeling, like any, any read of this film is, is, I think accurate enough. It's just about how you personally feel about the character. But I, I would argue that there's more to the character. Hopefully our discussion has shown that, but there's certainly more that's, that's coming. And JK Rowling has very grand plans for Tina. Um, in addition to what I'm sure is plans for everybody. I feel better about Tina about after today's discussion. I'm glad. Yay. You have changed me. <laughs> I even have a crush on Tina. I'm do we uh do we have any final thoughts though from anybody else cuz I was talking for a while there. No, I I think in all seriousness I do kind of feel different about her. Particularly yeah. the point of, you know, leaving leaving her such a mystery, leaving her sad and from what we've heard from JK Rowling, um I am now excited to see what lies ahead for her because there is she could develop more than any other character in this series. Even Jacob. Yeah. Mhm. Or at least as much as Jacob. Yeah. I've come a long way, too. When you guys emailed me and said this was the topic, I was like, oh, no, she's my least favorite of the corset. <laughs> but once I really started delving into her and trying to understand some of her motivations, it made me like her so much more and respect her so much more and understand that even though she and I are very different people in how we approach the world, that doesn't mean her way is a bad way. It's just a different way. Yeah. So my, my, my challenge now, my challenge now will be rewatch the film with these thoughts in mind and see if you don't, in fact, really come out really liking Tina as I have, because it's it's yeah. real it's real crazy. It'll mess your mind up how much you like her. <laughs> what do you say yeah. though, to the well, person who may be interested in going to see the next film, but may have only seen this movie one time and and just has that initial impression? I, I, oh, you're wondering if like they'll sort of be left behind because Tina will be like so advanced and so different and so changed. Well, you're saying like, for notice... people to go back and watch again, but I would say the majority mm -hmm. of people who saw this film are not going to go back and, and watch it again. They may have gone to the movie theater one time. You know, and... I, I think based on the film, Tina's still in sort of a very subdued place. Again, there's no ending kiss, right? So I think you're still going to, you're not going to have missed anything with Tina. Like, at the very end, she says she's been reinstated in her her position. So I think the within the first 15 minutes of the next film, if, if Tina's in the next film, uh, we'll see her as like, a, you know, an horror again. Um, but but that'll be the natural sort of pickup point anyway. Like, really, she's sort of circled back around. And all, all she's done in this film is regained her status at being able to be an horror, which she was sort of playing at being anyway. So it's sort of like a lateral, like she's developed a lot as a person, but ultimately I don't think it'll be jarring to like start the next film, um, and see her be an R because that was at least mentioned at the end of the first film that she's going back to doing that. And hopefully she'll have more yeah, competence I, this time around as well. Yeah. Cause she was right. She darn will. it. She are, yeah. Well, and like I said, she's been, we're going to see her get her mojo back. And I think we'll see that now that she helped take down Grindelwald temporarily. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that she's becoming an aura again. Maybe all that confidence will go out the window when he escapes, as he must. <laughs> right. I'm going to blame Serafina, not Tina. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to talk so, about her eventually on this show. Cool. As always, 
you know what to do. If you have feedback, send it in to MuggleCast at gmail.com or use our feedback line, our voicemail line. Just visit MuggleCast.com. Click on Send Us an Al. You can get all the info over there. Tweet us if we've changed your mind on Tina. Yeah. And uh, speaking of the voicemail line, which, by the way, is 9203-MUGGLE. It's a U.S. number, 920-368-4453. Let's listen to a few voicemails now. Uh, Jumping back to Queenie, we have this from Michael. Or maybe not Michael. Google Translate just... Nope, this is Andrew. Here we go. <laughs> Hi, MuggleCast. Um, this is Andrew Iskander listening from San Jose, California. Just want to say I love you guys' show so much. It's been a part of my life for like many, many years since high school, which was ages ago. Uh, but uh wanted to thank you guys. And also, uh, I just got around to listening to some of your shows. I've been backed up with work, but... Um, I listened to the Queenie episode and I listened to the episode or the chapter reading for Dueling Club and I couldn't help but put the two together and wonder if Queenie herself is really difficult to duel against because maybe she can actually know what's coming before somebody sends a spell her way. And or maybe the opponent knowing this has a difficult time because they have to practice acclumens while dueling her while trying to win the duel at the same time. I uh, would like to know your thoughts on this. Thanks again, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Bye. That's incredible. Yeah. I really wow. like this idea because I think getting back to our point about how is Queenie going to play a role in future movies, we speculated if she can read people's minds, that would be helpful. Well, reading people's minds to know what spell they're about to cast would be especially helpful in a duel. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. <laughs> it's, it's, it's possible some of that is more instinctual. If you're just more instinctual about your the spells you cast, you know, the split second in which you decide to cast one spell over the other and are weighing the odds or the, the you know the different choices is there really enough time for her to hear and then also comprehend and also respond but it's a t- it's a tantalizing theory like i i love it um we'll have to see all the different ways i mean i think we're, we'll just only see more and more and more examples of how awesome it is like to to be her and how she can use her power to help the group all right, here's another voicemail. Uh, this person's a little disgruntled. She just jumps right into it. Can we all be just clear that um, Cursed Child's going to get a sequel because, you know, it's J.K. Rowling and she'll stretch anything out, you know, kind of to be honest. She was like, Harry Potter is done. And then, you know, she made like a seven. She thought, you know, all mothers say never, but really basically never. And then, you know, since Warner Brothers were like making a ton of money, they were like, "Yo, Joe, let's 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 do another thing." And they're probably gonna make it into a film. But if they do make a sequel, how will that really work with you know Broadway kind of and stuff? Like as a play, has there ever been like a play? Well, I don't know. Um, I'm just rambling. Okay, bye. So this listener seems convinced that they're going to be doing a Cursed Child sequel as a play. I actually oh, disagree with please her Please, God, no. Please, no. no. It's not happening. <laughs> and we don't have to waste our time discussing this because I, there's less than zero chance. I, 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 th- I think there's sort of a false... There's always a chance. 
there's there's a the fallacy of uh, false equivocation happening here. Like I, I I don't I really genuinely do not believe that rolling that it's a money grab that or that her constant wavering or saying that Harry Potter was done, then saying never say never, then say like very cynical, very cynical. But I, I think that really it comes out of a place of love. And uh, but I, I will agree that the cursed uh, how will cursed child sequel work as a play? I don't think the first cursed child works as a play. So I, you know, I don't. I I don't know, but there are there are actually um, plays that like stage plays that have been sequels. Um, I I have a list of them right here, but it's too long, so I won't say anything. But if you Google plays plays that were sequels, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, next voicemail. Hi, Muggle Boys. This is Rachel from New York. I geek freaked last week when you guys played my podcast. My comment on air freaked out. But I had to clarify two things. A, Eric was totally right in thinking I said stupid listener because I'm just teaching you guys some slang, you some lingo. Like, you know how in Boston it's like wicked awesome? New York, stupid cool. Like, it's like, that's stupid awesome. Stupid cool. Now you know. And then second thing, okay, this is tiny bit PG-13, and maybe I'm not allowed to say this. However, if Grindelwald and Dumbledore were unrequited and it wasn't really a thing, does that mean that Dumbledore kind of like is a virgin? Because that's a bummer. I feel like he transects kind of, like he's above that and like beyond that emotionally or whatever. But at the same time, dude, bummer. Anyway, thought I would share. Sorry if I'm too racy for your show, but I wanted to share because that kind of blew my mind. Anyway, you guys are awesome. Love much. Stupid awesome. Bye. Aw. Stupid awesome. Did somebody say no in the background when she asked that question? I know. Wasn't that hilarious? <laughs> That's my favorite part. Yeah, so she was wondering, Rachel was thinking that maybe Dumbledore could be a virgin. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't this, but, this I mean, she brings too... up a good point. Grindelwald yeah. could be unrequited, but that doesn't mean he was hung up on Grindelwald forever and, and never shacked up with anyone. It'd be really sad to think that Dumbledore never had like experienced physical intimacy. Yeah. But it's also a bit like thinking about your parents having physical intimacy. How old like I don't <laughs> I don't really want to think about it, you know? Well over 100. Why, Micah? I'm just saying, I that's, mean, that's a long time. Right, to go without... Right, I got you. That's, I, I got what you're throwing. <laughs> I don't know, though. He was, like, hung up on Grindelwald until 1946 when he faced him. So I, I could see that maybe he is. And maybe still after then, because Grindelwald, he kept Grindelwald alive. He didn't kill him. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Only has. Voldemort kills him. Yeah. yeah. Steve Carell stars in The 130-Year-Old Virgin. <laughs> Coming soon to theaters. <laughs> All right, here's easily one of the strangest voicemails we've ever received. Hi, it's Marguerite from San Francisco. I was just calling to say that you guys are really cool. And so I was listening to... um. I think it was like an uh, another episode the other day, and um, it was around the 10th anniversary of the mysterious sticking noise, and so you guys went on and said that next year you would do it. So I don't know if you're still going to do it, but I've been grilling you online. I will find you, and if you don't do it, I will kill you all. I'm... Uh, <laughs> That's not a good thing to say, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> really like what you guys do. It's it's nice. I do it while doing my high school homework. So 
Yeah, and I'm not actually going to kill you guys, just, just so you know, and this is getting long. And, uh, okay, bye. <laughs> so, oh, my God. That's a slithering right the there. <laughs> and then there's, like, this nervous giggle where I think she might realize that maybe, like, we're going to call the cops on her if she doesn't <laughs> clarify that she's kidding. <laughs> we, she uh, all I know is I'm not it. setting foot into in San Francisco until we record our ticking noise. Tick. <laughs> Talk to, yeah, so apparently I forget this, but apparently we agreed to do this. So I know we gotta find that episode. It's yeah. easy. It's a blast. It's just it's an utter utter blast to do. Tick tock, just saying tick tock. Severus Snape, Dumbledore. <laughs> it's just there like you go. That. Yeah. Eric just did Very it. Very well done, yeah. Eric. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Wouldn't Neil be annoyed if we did our? Well, maybe he wouldn't. That's the guy who made it. Yeah, Neil's real cool. Neil Neil came to, uh, he comes to the Harry Potter conventions. Yeah. He's a cool guy. I'm always intimidated. I've never gone up to him. I'm always, I'm always feeling like starstruck. I have he's a big on, deal. He is a big deal, but it's so, you know what? Like he doesn't, he doesn't like talk about it, you know? Like, he I mean, doesn't he's, talk about you it. You know, you know, he's there and like, <laughs> he you can, plays it cool. Yeah. Yeah. He plays it real, real cool. Cause I, I went up to him. I knew him when he was in, uh, he did, he was in a band called Lemon Demon. I think it was just him. He was a band called Lemon Demon, and uh, they do a really cool. I have his album called Damn Skippy, and I really like it. And I went up to him at the last LeakyCon, and I was like, "Hey, man, like you don't know me, but I, I know you." It was a very Star Trek moment. I was just like, "I love Damn Skippy," and he was like, "Oh, cool, thank, thank you." Um, so yeah, he's real All approachable, right. real cool guy. Well, finally, one more, and this is this is a bit of a chicken soup. For the MuggleCast. Hello, MuggleCast. My name is Robert Telecchio. I am a fellow podcast host. I host a monthly podcast called The Trumpet for my theater company. And I just want to say that I would not have the confidence to host my own podcast without years of listening to your discussions of my favorite series. Oh. Uh, you have accompanied many, many uh, trips, many house cleaning days, and I never get tired of hearing you. And... I'm sorry, I'm messing up, but I just want to say thank you for everything you do, and thank you for always being there for us fans. And also a message for Eric. I'm also a Starbucks manager. The reason that Venti is the large Starbucks cup is because Venti is Italian for 20, and it's a 20 ounce. Tall is the small because tall used to be the biggest size we had. I do not have an answer for why Grande is the medium. Thank you again, MuggleCast, for everything. And keep up the great work. Um, Thanks, man. We appreciate that. Yeah. Well, let me just say, mm-hmm. uh, well, first of all, he sounded great. I don't know what kind of like really nice phone he was recording on, but that was the best sounding voicemail either. Well, isn't he a podcaster though? I bet. I bet yes, his podcast, that's... The Trumpet, sounds amazing. Everyone should go listen to The <laughs> Trumpet. Yeah. What, what, what was this gentleman's name? He... Uh, Robert. Robert. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I just I just want to also say it's okay to mess up on these voicemails. Everybody does it. We frequently get people calling in and then stopping and then recording another voicemail. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we only record. (laughs) We only play the one that they completed. We don't play the. the Oh, that's so funny, Uh, Robert. Robert, thank you for clearing up the Starbucks thing. Uh, I have another quandary for you, uh, Robert. I went into. Uh, Starbucks uh, on Tuesday looking for the unicorn uh, frap, uh, which I had not yet had. After I know all... the answer to this one. Ugh. But it when's was a it coming? Time. When's limited it coming back? Offer. Oh, probably never because, like, a unicorn, you see it once and that's it. I heard it was mango flavored. Did you have one? Was it mango flavored? 
No, I tried to order it. It was sold out. Big See, hit. Same thing. I heard so that Robert... it tasted like cough syrup. I didn't have one, but several of my oh. friends said that. So I don't think he missed much. It's just the favorite thing is the meme where it's like, uh, it's very clear. It's that, that Voldemort face. And it's like, once the moment bl- the blood touches your lips of the unicorn, <laughs> uh, you will have a half-life, a cursed life. And then it's a picture of the Frappuccino, which is like very I, uh, vi- rainbow. How did I miss that uh, meme? That it tasted like earwax grass and earthworm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, free. speaking of food. Speaking of food, we didn't bring back the hot dog. And in the Google chat, Michaela Brown uh, asked just a moment ago, where does the hot dog come in? Question mark, exclamation point. Um, so she uh, – <laughs> we forgot to mention – I didn't write this. This is in the notes though, but I assume it's – so we first meet Tina when she's munching on a hot dog. And I noted right. that her only topping appears to be yellow mustard. And it's outside of Mary Lou Barebone's public demonstration at the bank. She's clearly undercover since she's not supposed to be there. But during her detection, she bumps into both Newt and Jacob, who pass her in the crowd. Um, yeah, so that's that's why we asked the, the hot, dog. hot dog question. Yeah, but she likes mustard on her hot dogs, and that's pretty cool. That's very Chicago style. She'd have a home in Chicago. And <laughs> on that note, that does it for MuggleCast episode 320. Katie, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you tell us about the podcast that you do? Yeah. Uh- Okay. Thanks. Um, well, me and a couple of friends started our own po- podcast about He-Man and She-Ra, the 80s cartoons, called Whoa. Master's Cast. And we actually started it just two months after you guys started MuggleCast. And yes, we were oh, heavily... Wow. So been at it for a while. Yeah. But we were heavily influenced and inspired by you guys. You gave us the idea awesome. to do it. Um, we don't release episodes nearly as often as y'all do, and it's actually been more than a year since our last one. Oops. But we have not given up yet. Um, and then four years ago, another friend and I started a podcast dedicated to Rainbow Bright, which is another 80s cartoon, my number one fandom. Um... And all of that is just to say that I understand the labor of love that podcasting is. And I'm super impressed and proud of you guys for sticking with it for so long. Oh, thank you. Yeah. What's your, what's your rainbow you bright? So much for being a longtime listener. Yeah. What's the name of that show? Yeah. Uh, it's called Brightcast. So yeah. Brightcast. Masters. B-R-I-T-E. It is. Thank you. So many people spell it wrong. It is B-R-I-T-E cast. And if you just go to rainbowbright.net, which is my website, you can find links to all of that. You have rainbowbright.net. And .org. I would well, have .com Micah if I could. Mike is actually a huge but... fan of Rainbow Bright, so you should have him on the show <laughs> right. sometime. That's the You're holiday. welcome on anytime. Yeah, between the two, I can never get enough time in the day. Micah has the holiday.net and the holiday.org as well. <laughs> true. Um, and true. Katie's not kidding when when she says she Rainbow Bright is her number one fandom. We've we've seen her room when she's been in the, the Google <laughs> Patreon Hangout. And it is decked out in rainbow bright. And it's that's famous. Only one part of the room, yeah, <laughs> that we've seen. The other part is still just more rainbow bright stuff. Actually, yes. it's really impressive. Truly, uh, I read the news articles written about you, Katie, and Aww. I'm bored. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. You got to look up this this person. She's look great. up the Rainbow Land Museum. Google that, and you should find it. Yeah, your house is a national landmark. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. All right, then. Well, and uh, feel free to check out us at MuggleCast.com. No rainbows on the site. Not much much color, to be honest. (laughs) Mm. A lot of brown, a lot of yellow. Um, And please support us on Patreon. We would really appreciate your support. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You can also be like Katie and be on the show one day by joining the Slug Slug Club level. Uh, that's at $10 per month. That's too much money for you. We understand. 
We have two other levels at $2 a month and $5 a month, and you can get various benefits, including ad-free versions of this podcast and bonus MuggleCast. So a whole lot of chapter stuff we're readings. doing over there. Chapter Southern readings. I'm, yeah. I'm due to record. <laughs> Southern Hagrid. And uh, for everybody, we have the voicemail line. Don't forget about that. 9203 Muggle. Oh, man. He already has it memorized. Yeah. 19203 Muggle. I recently memorized the MuggleCast P.O. Box. Hold on. <laughs> let me try to do it. Okay. 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, P.O. Box 144, Chicago, IL 60618. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, just, one. Uh, well, write in, write in, don't write P.O. Box because some addresses get wonky, but do number 144. But yes, that's absolutely 100% what you said. I, I had to write it down on about 15 different envelopes. And at that point, it just clicked <laughs> into my head. It's with me forever. I All these fours help. Uh, we have to renew that, actually. Uh, I'll talk to you about that later. Okay. Well, that's why we have a Patreon. It's been a year already. <laughs> Yay. Hard to believe. Yeah. Hard to believe. Yeah. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. For episode 321, goodbye. Bye. Bye.